Picking up in Luke chapter 17, if you remember. Now, let's uh, do a little bit of setting up the scenario here. Jesus is on his death march. He is on his way to Jerusalem. And he is coming in counter and coming in connection with uh, many of uh, the Pharisees. And he's trying to use every scenario to teach his disciples. And so we're going to pick it up. Uh, in chapter 17, Jesus has just healed the 10 lepers. Uh, now, you've got to understand the phenomena of which this was. Only in the Old Testament were there a few lepers, like Naaman, who were healed. There was a process for cleansing lepers. There wasn't a process for healing lepers. But um, no one would even have known when Jesus sent the lepers to the temple to be cleansed what the procedures were because people were never really healed of leprosy. And so these 10 lepers show up after hundreds of years of no lepers being healed to the temple. And these 10 lepers who went ahead declaring Jesus Christ to, this, uh, uh, to the temple, they've got to figure out what's going on with the procedures for cleansing these 10 lepers. Well, this creates quite a stir. Did you hear? 10 lepers got healed. Now remember, Jesus is on his death march to Jerusalem. And he's proclaiming himself as the king of kings, as the Messiah, as God on earth, because they believe that only God could heal leprosy. So now we're going to pick up in our story in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Pharisees show up on the road, and when he, had asked, when, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, now they're obviously in wonder. These 10 lepers have come into the temple. The Pharisees have come out of Jerusalem. They've met Jesus on the road. And they're wondering, like everybody else, are you God? They're wondering, like everybody else, you healed these 10 lepers? So they meet Jesus on the road, and they ask a very obvious question about the kingdom of God. And he responds, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, he's answering a question of which they don't ask, but remember, Jesus knows their heart. He's saying, you're not going to see it with your visible eyes. Now, remember how Jesus described the Spirit. He's like the wind. You can see the impact of the wind, but you can't see the wind. And he begins to go on and further describe in verse 21, nor will they say, see here or see there. Now, he's speaking into the current situation. People were going in Jerusalem. Did you see the kingdom? Did, did you see Jesus? Did you see the 10 lepers? Did you see? So he's actually using a current event and he says, nor will they say. So he's denouncing what they're communicating in Jerusalem. See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Here's what the Lord says. The kingdom of God is spiritual. He's giving a hint to the Jews of the 2,000 years of church history that we're currently living in. The kingdom of God is within you. We know this to be true. Your life has been changed. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Spirit of God comes within you. Your life begins to change. You experience something called conviction. So the kingdom of God is expanding because you got saved. 
Now, can we see the kingdom of God? Do we see a building being erected? Do we see a palace being erected? Do we see the golden streets? No, it's a spiritual kingdom. And we see the spirit and his action moving in your life. Caton, you're a great example of the advancement of the kingdom of God um, in this church. Verse 22, then he said to the disciples, the audience changes. He says to the disciples, first he's speaking to the Pharisees, now he's speaking to his guys. Remember, he's on his death march, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's preparing them along the way. He's going to use this situation of the question of the Pharisees, tell me about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is not going to answer the Pharisees, he turns and he answers the disciples. Here's why. Spiritual truths are received by spiritual people. We have the mind of Christ. And so he speaks the pearls of the kingdom, not to swine. He speaks it to disciples. That's why when you're sitting in a Bible study and all of a sudden you get something, it's not me. It's the Spirit of God opening your heart, opening your eyes, opening your spiritual mind so that you'll be able to grasp and understand. So let's understand what he says. The days will come when you will, now he's speaking to the disciples, when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now, this is key. He's letting the disciples know there's going to be a period of time I'm leaving, and you're going to want me around, but I'm not going to be here. Well, we know this happened at the crucifixion, and we know it happened when Jesus was resurrected and he ascended. He left, and the disciples longed to be with Jesus. But he's also speaking something else. He says, you're not going to see it. Look back at verse 22. The days will come when. Now, our English doesn't do a great job of helping us understand that. He's saying, a very long time from now. You're not going to see this time because you're going to be gone. So he's communicating to us. And he says this, and you will not see it, verse 23, and they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them to follow them. Now let's kind of backtrack for just a minute. Uh, actually, I'm going to read verse 24. For as the lightning that flashes out of, the part, um, out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. So now he answers the question. Tell us about the kingdom of God. When is the kingdom of God? That was the question. When the kingdom of God would come. He doesn't answer the Pharisees. He answers those that can receive it. And he says, let me tell you about my second coming. That's the coming of the Son of Man. That's what he's communicating in verse 24. Now, this second coming, he speaks to the disciples he says it's going to be a time that's far away. You're not going to see it. You're going to be long gone, disciples. I'm speaking to those that are going to be in that day. Now, you're going to want me around when I leave, but I need to let you know you're not going to be around when this second coming occurs. He's speaking to us. Now, take a look. And I say that in faith, hoping that um, the rapture will happen at any point that I'm communicating. The Holy Spirit, feel free to interrupt me at any time. Verse 25. But first, 
he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. He goes to the present, but first. Hey, gang, remember I said that there's going to be a time when you're going to want me to be around. I'm not going to be around. I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to have to die. If you remember, the title Son of Man is a title that Daniel used when he saw the heavens and he saw the thrones being placed in Daniel chapter 7. And he said, I saw one like the Son of Man. Son of Man is a messianic title for Jesus. It's like saying Professor Chet. It's like everyone knows when you say professor, it means uh, uh, he's a teacher. Well, every Jew knew that when you said Son of Man, it was a Daniel 7 reference to he's talking about Messiah. So what Jesus does, he says, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to answer the question about the coming of the kingdom, but I need to let you know something first. I'm going to have to suffer and I'm going to have to die. Let's pick it up in verse 26. Now he goes to the back to the second coming. So, and, so he goes back to the original thought of the Son of Man will be in his day. In verse 24, he picks it up with a brief interruption in verse 25. Now we go to verse 26, and, so once again, referring to verse 24, and as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and flood came and destroyed them all. Now, do you remember when the flood came, what they were doing? Banging on the side of the door. They wanted to get in. It caught them off guard. They were living just a normal life, eating, drinking, giving in marriage. They paid no consequence. They paid no understanding to God. They were prosperous. Now, here is Noah. Noah's 120 years building an ark. Do you remember when God said, listen, I relent over this whole man decision, and so I'm only giving men 120 years. And what he was saying is not that we would live 120 years because Noah lived into 600. What he was saying was, I'm giving them 120 years to repent. And it took Noah 120 years to build that ark, a constant sign to the world that judgment was coming. Now here's Noah. He's building away. He's bringing over pieces of acacia wood. He's putting tar and pitch. And he looks out and he goes, man, they got money. They're prospering. They're living in their little towns about here in a tent by a big old boat. And there's never been rain ever in the face of, I mean, in, what in the world, God, is going on? How many times am I going to have to keep building this ark? How many times do I have to keep working on this? And I'm looking at all my friends who think I'm foolish. I keep telling them there's going to be a, 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 a time when you're going to destroy the earth, but they're not listening to me. And it looks like they're prospering. It looks like life is going great for them. Look, uh, uh, uh. Uh, 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 Joshua just gave his daughter away in marriage and this one just had a grandchild and look at me, bang, bang, bang and my children are so busy they can't even have a grandchild because we're building this boat. Think of Noah for 120 years. They're eating, they're drinking, they're giving in marriage. Let's go on. Likewise, it was also in, likewise as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, 
even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. We're going to stop there for a moment. Jesus is speaking about his second coming. And what he's saying about the coming of the kingdom of God to his disciples is this. People are going to be living a normal life. People are just going to be doing their thing. People are going to be giving in marriage. They're going to be building their homes. They're going to act as if life is just gone on in a regular routine. And it's going to look like the heathens are prospering. They're not going to pay attention to the things of God. In fact, the New Testament says that their hearts will grow cold. But here's what happens. Judgment comes on them like a thief in the night. And all of a sudden, the first raindrop fell. The ark door was closed by God, and they're banging on the door, let them in. And then all of a sudden, one fire brimstone fell in Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you imagine the panic? The problem was, and the example is Lot's wife. Take a look again. Luke chapter 17. I want you to see what Lot's wife does. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. So normal days. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it'll be. Now I've read it again for a reason. Listen carefully. Destroyed them all. Do you realize there were only eight saved with Noah out of the whole world? And there were going to be four saved, yet only three when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because there was one whose heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife. And when she turned to go back to get what she wanted, she turned into Sodom and Gomorrah, a pillar of salt. If you go to the area of the Dead Sea today where Sodom and Gomorrah would have been located, you will see these pillars of salt all over the Dead Sea. It's unbelievable to recognize that God would destroy an entire city along that Dead Sea in just a moment. Now, can you imagine? Lot, who was a preacher of righteousness, was telling them that judgment was coming, and they chose not to listen, and only Lot and his two daughters were saved. Keep that story in mind because that's like the coming of the Lord. That's like the second coming. So here's what Jesus does. He gives some practical advice for those that live during his second coming. In that day, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. So remember Lot's wife. Remember what happened to her. She was destroyed when she turned to go back to Sodom. So what Jesus is revealing is Lot's wife's heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah. She wanted the things of Sodom and Gomorrah. She didn't want to run away from the things of the world and not look back. She was running like this and she became like the world. Gang, when we're running our race, we've got to set our minds on things above. If we're constantly looking backward, we're going to become like what we're looking at. I'm from a third world country. Okay, when you're driving down the road, our roads are filled with potholes, right? 
The rule of driving in the Bahamas is this. If you look at the pothole, you're going to go in it. So never look at it when you're driving. Just look beyond it and you'll never hit it. That's the rule of driving when you're in the Bahamas, okay? Third world country, just trust me on the advice. You will find it to be very successful. Lot's wife looked back and she went right into the pit. It's where her eyes were focused. Verse 33 Whoever seeks to save his life, now using the practical to give the spiritual, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed or two people in one bed. Um, So he's not speaking about homosexuality, he's speaking about people. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Verse 35, two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. So they answered and said to him, where, Lord? Now, before we go there, a lot of pastors teach that this is the rapture. This is not the rapture. The rapture has already happened. He's speaking about his second coming. This is when he comes to judge the earth. This is when his feet land on the Mount of Olives. This is not when the church meets him in the air. So then who are the ones that are taken Well, you have to understand Matthew chapter 25. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25 when the sheep and the goats are separated and the sheep are those that will walk into the millennial kingdom that we, the church, will rule and reign over? The sheep are those that believe during the tribulation period. They come to Christ and then they live straight into the tribulation period. Um, excuse me, straight into the millennial kingdom and the church rules and reigns over the sheep that made it through the seven-year tribulation. The goats, not such a great story for them. They're the ones spoken of here that are taken. How do we know? Let's look at the answer. Where are they taken, Lord? Verse 37, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. He's using a Jewish idiom and he's saying this, they go to death. Because wherever, have you guys ever been driving like in Montana, Wyoming, and there's a dead deer on the side of the road? Have you ever noticed what's on top of the dead deer? And if it's a bird that's in the middle of the road, you know it's a vulture. This is that word eagles. The word is vulture. And when you're driving up to that dead deer on the side of the road, what do you see picking at that dead carcass? The vultures are picking up until you drive by. They fly away for a second. Then what do they do? They swarm on the dead. So what Jesus is saying with a Jewish idiom is you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. The people that are taken are the goats. And at the second coming, they are going to go to the place of the dead, eternally separated from God because they chose not to believe. So Jesus is talking about his second coming here. So now let's get into chapter 18. And the disciples are thinking about all this. So he spoke spoke a parable to them saying that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Stop there if you would for just a minute. Jesus is going to give a parable, but in your notes, I want you to write, this is a parable of contrast. So he's going to use the exact opposite to communicate the truth of what is. So he's going to show them what it isn't to describe 
what it is. It's a parable of contrast. And he says to them, I'm writing this so that men don't lose heart. Do you remember the, uh, what Jesus said about the second coming? They're going to be building their buildings. They're going to be going to their jobs. They're going to be making their fields. They're going to be washing clothes. They're going to look prosperous. And the faithful, well, they're going to look on the heathen prosperous and we're just building our ark. We're, we're just like Lot, preachers of righteousness. There's no judgment for 120 years. People are thinking, Noah, you're ridiculous. What's that whole Bible thing? Jesus is coming back, right? It's going to rain. It's never rained before. You guys are so dumb. You raise your hands and worship. I was talking to somebody the other day, and it was their first time in church. And they, um, they said, they're Christians now. And they said, well, the first time I came to church, I came and I thought, why are these people raising their hands without a lighter in church? Because you know, like when you go to a concert, you flick your, your flick flick your bick, that, that uh, dates me, right? Now we lift up our phones and we turn our flashlights on and we do this thing, right? So they're like, why don't they like lift up their phones and lift up their lights and do that whole thing? Well, we're actually surrendering to Jesus. Well, now he's saved and he goes, what I thought was so ridiculous, now I'm raising my hands and I don't got a light in my hand, right? Something happens to the believer when we get saved. We begin to see things differently. But sometimes as a believer, when we see our life and we're pounding away, communicating truth, and everyone's looking at us and going, Jesus, coming back? There is no God. Evolution, come on, proven in science. I mean, are you serious? If there is a God, then, then he must have deserted us because look at all the chaos. Look at all the problems. So Jesus goes, listen, I know what you're thinking about. And I want to tell you a story so that you don't lose heart. And maybe you want to circle that word in your Bible, and I want to help you understand what it means, lose heart, that you don't be a coward. That's the actual Greek term, that you're a person of courage. He goes, I want to tell you how you're going to be like Noah and keep building that ark. And I want to tell you how you're going to be like Lot and be a preacher of righteousness when everything around you seems like they're doing it right because their life is prosperous. So I want you to have courage and not be a coward. Here's the story. Let's pick it up. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So we begin to understand it's a parable of contrast. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. He would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I don't fear God, nor regard man. How arrogant is that? Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Stop there if you would for just a minute. Remember what I said. It's a parable of contrast because Jesus goes on in verse six, hear what the unjust judge said. So is he saying that God is like the judge? No. Look at verse seven. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he'll avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So I know there's a chapter differentiation between chapter 17 and 18, but I need to remind you, there were no numbers and no chapters when Luke wrote this. He's proving a point. The disciples are thinking about the second coming. Jesus has told them, Listen, 
you're going to want me around, but I'm not going to be here. I'm going to have to suffer and die. They're going, wait a second, Jesus, what are you saying? So he tells them a story. I want to tell you a story so that you don't lose heart. And the story that he gives is a story of opposites. So let's talk about what the opposites are. The first is the widow. Now, I need to help you understand the courtroom in the, this first century world was not the pillars of the Supreme Court that we imagine as we walk up into our federal buildings. That's not what it was. It was a traveling tent. And the judge would go from city to city, set up a tent. And he would be in that city and they would bring the cases to him. So keep that visual in your mind. First century world, I need to let you know something about widows. This woman... Her husband is dead. Now that's a big deal because women have no rights in the first century world according to Jewish law and she has no one to represent her in a court of law. So she can't even go under the tent. She's outside the tent every day. Hey, I'm here. I'm here again. I'm here again. I know I can't come in. I mean, think how bold and brazen this woman is and this judge, okay? Let's think for just a moment. This judge, he says, I don't regard God. I'm ungodly. And I don't care about people. I'm apathetic. So Jesus can't be saying that God is uh, uh, ungodly and that God is apathetic. It's a clear contrast. He even says, I'm going to give to this woman because I'm so tired of her coming every day. She's giving me, she's making me weary. And that word weary, she's giving me a black eye. It was a Jewish idiom for she's hurting my reputation. So contrast. First, let's talk about the widow. He's saying, you're believers. You're not a widow. And let me tell you what that means. You're married to the groom, the risen Lord. And I'm your advocate in the courtroom of God. And so you're not alone and you're the church. You're heirs of the kingdom. So you not only have law for yourselves, you've got, you're a royal priesthood. You're heirs of the kingdom. There's the first contrast, the widow as compared to the believer. The second contrast is the judge. He's ungodly, he's apathetic, and he's concerned about his reputation with this woman going around the tent saying, you gotta give to me, you gotta give to me. Well, Jesus, are you saying that God is ungodly, apathetic, and he, he just gives up on us because we're so persistent? No, what he's saying is this. Do you remember when God showed up to Moses and Moses wanted to know who he was? And Moses has an opportunity to have a conversation with God. And God speaks to him in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And God says this, I'm the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abounding in goodness and truth, long-suffering, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's how God describes himself. That's godly, mercy, grace, long-suffering. This is how he describes himself, not ungodly. Do you remember God is the God of compassion? That when the father saw the prodigal son coming his direction, the father took off towards the prodigal. He's not apathetic towards person, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. This is a parable of contrast. 
and God is not up in the heavens. <sighs> I just wish Caton would stop praying. All right, all right, Caton, you can have it. Like that, sorry, you're just my proverbial um, wonder guy today. I almost said wonder boy, but that wouldn't have gone over great. Um, uh, no, that's not who God is. So he says in verse six, hear what the unjust judge said, how much more so, you might add, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? A couple of key things I want you to hear. Jesus Christ gave the cry for the church. It goes like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Did you hear that? That's the battle cry of the church. It's the prayer that we are to be praying. But I want you to see something in verse 7. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night? Our cry is the Lord's prayer, though he bears long with them. Hey, gang. There's going to be a season of time. This season of time we now know is 2,000 years of church history where God has bared long with the prayer of the church, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. And in that seven-year tribulation, we're going to see the church, the tribulation saints, I'm sorry, not the church, the tribulation saints praying this prayer, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. But take a look at his promise. And shall God not avenge his own elect? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 5. Um, it is the fifth seal. Revelation chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 6, I, I meant. Revelation chapter 6. Would you look with me at verse, uh, verse 9? Revelation chapter 6, I want you to see the cry of the saints. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. They should bear with him a little bit longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed. Someone claimed that promise in Jesus' name. Who put that on a plaque? Who would be killed as they were, as they were was completed. All of the martyrs, from the church history of, uh, uh, of when, uh, um, goodness, Stephen was martyred through until today's date are waiting in a place crying out, thy kingdom come. Now take a look what happens. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation chapter 20, let's see what happens as God avenged. Revelation chapter 20. My page is sticking together. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls. So here we have thy kingdom come. 
Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast of his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Hey, church. Jesus says, listen, troubled times are coming. People are going to be martyred. You can't be a coward. You're going to have to be courageous. People are even beheaded. And the church has had a cry for 2,000 years. Thy kingdom come. And God has bared long with that prayer, but he promises to avenge. And here in Revelation chapter 20, we see the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come. It says in verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, many people have had issue with he will answer them speedily. But Jesus describes what speedily means. And remember, he created time. He doesn't live in time. So your speedily and his speedily are two different speedilies. When you compare 2,000 years to an eternity of time, speedily is like a blink of an eye to God, even though it's 1,000 years. Keep that in mind. If you look at the same verse, he defines when he will answer the prayer, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find face on the earth? And what this word nevertheless means is moreover. So what he's saying is, I'm going to answer your prayer, thy kingdom come, the cry of the church, and avenge the blood of the martyrs at the second coming. That's what he's saying in this parable. Trust my word. Have courage. Don't be a coward. And look what he says when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Here's the point. Jesus makes it very clear to the disciples, to you and to me, persistent prayer produces perseverance. Persistent prayer produces perseverance. You're not a widow. You're a believer. You have a mediator. You have a groom. And God is not the unjust judge. He's compassionate and he's going to answer your prayer. And the way that you will persevere until the second coming is that you are a person of prayer. That's why Paul, through all of his trials, he would write the church and to the Thessalonians and he would say this, don't stop praying. Never cease to prayer. Let prayer be as if you breathe. Let prayer be flowing out of your heart towards God. There are sometimes I'll be driving down the road and I'm like, God, can you believe that billboard is up? Constant communication to God. I remember one time I was driving in Las Vegas and I couldn't believe that they raise, could raise children there with all of the billboards. I was like, get a drive like through Las Vegas like this. And I'm like, oh God, I can't believe how corrupt we've come. Please forgive us. Prayer should be flowing out of us because what prayer does, it supernaturally helps us persevere. Stay in communion and connection with God. Amen? Amen.